0: everybody. Welcome to this week's roundup. Before we jump in, I have a crazy idea that I'm sure I'm going to get mocked and made fun of for, but I want to try it anyway. I want to turn off all of the ads on the website. I absolutely hate them, and even though they're at the lowest possible setting you could set them to, it's just annoying. And I want to be able to do that, except, unfortunately, running a business like this means any tiny little bit of income Is a drop in the bucket that you need to fill that bucket to pay your bills at the end of the month. So I just wanted to ask and see if there's anybody that relies on this podcast or any of the other work that I do and wants to help. Maybe you could consider signing up for one of the monthly support services. And if that reaches the total that would compensate for the website ads, I will turn that right off. If not, that's totally fine and a little side note if you're somebody who already supports don't change a thing you're amazing you're the only reason that I've been able to come this far, you're all very cool, but if you've been on the fence of supporting and you have the ability to, then maybe consider doing it. And if we continue to grow it, I would love to continue to turn all of the ads off. I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but if enough people share the monthly support services like Patreon and Floatplane and feel like signing up, then maybe i could also turn off youtube ads and podcast ads and i would love to just be 100% funded by the community that i'd work for you're all my boss and i always take everything that i do and all of you seriously but i wanted to just float that out there and i'm expecting nothing i'm expecting to probably just go and get some other kind of uh um some kind of sponsorships or anything else but i just wanted to try to keep it in the community first just to see and you know see what you all say i'm expecting most of you to be like I use an ad blocker anyway, so it doesn't matter. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, it's definitely not the point, though. I'm trying to make RetroRGB.com and the whole community around it as welcoming as possible to everybody, and removing those annoying ads are a giant step in the right direction. So see what you think. Um, I'm expecting nothing, and I'm expecting to just go out and try to get more sponsorships to compensate, and maybe that would be a great way to do it. You know, remove the ads on the site, but replace them with a sidebar for whatever, anybody that's willing to jump in that's not a conflict of interest, but I wanted to ask anyway, because who knows, there's enough people here that just want to sign up for the lowest tier, I might be able to just keep it all in the community. But anyway, we have a lot to talk about this week, so I'm going to stop rambling and try to get through all of it as quickly as I can without skipping over any important details. First up, pre orders are now open for a vinyl version of the Contra Hardcore soundtrack. That's the Sega Genesis Mega Drive game. And the price is about 40 bucks. and there are different uh, stores selling them in the US, UK, and EU. The scheduled chip and uh, the release to it is quarter four 2023 so essentially if you pre-order it now you should get it by the end of the year um, it's cutting it a little close so I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a little late but it's nice to know that these are basically almost ready to go and it's an awesome soundtrack so definitely check out crystal's post and see if this is something that you'd be interested or even just look at the cool pictures of the, the vinyl that uh, that they'll be producing Next up, the Shiro crew did a couple of interviews with Retrobit at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, and the first one they did was talking about an upcoming Dreamcast replacement controller. There's actually two that Retrobit's been working on, one wired, that's basically a direct replacement, and the other is a wireless version that also has a VMU reader that would plug into the console itself, and I think double as the receiver as well, and they look very interesting. Uh, They're the original shape of the Dreamcast controller, however, they also offer six buttons on the front and then more modern d-pad and analog sticks as well so these really do have the potential to be awesome Uh, i think good replacement dreamcast controllers that are the shape of the original aren't really something that you could find and yeah i know a lot of people don't prefer the original controllers I do. I think they're pretty good, except the D-pad for fighting games. I would always prefer a fight stick for that anyway. But who knows? Maybe that'll actually solve that problem. And of course, um, because it's uh, the wireless version's uh, going to be meant to work on everything, you could also use it on Mr. Switch, PlayStation uh, 3, PC, etc., etc. So that's actually very cool, too. Um, if there's ever a Dreamcast-style game that you want to play on any of those platforms or through emulation, then you should be able to use it as well. So they're trying to have the pricing be about fifty bucks, give or take, um, and that's just kind of uh, interesting because I think that's a good price point, especially for a wireless controller with the wired being ten or fifteen bucks cheaper, give or take. So uh, it looks cool. I think th- this is a product that I hope Retrobit finishes and gets to the market. Um, and I just I also kind of hope that they put a lot of effort into um, into making sure that the D pad and the controls really are top notch because uh, that's always kind of been an issue with many controllers. But if you're interested, check out the interview that the Shiro crew did. It was pretty cool, and it's it's interesting to hear directly from the RetroBit team. Lou from Lou's RetroSource recently posted a video about how to get direct video working out of a mister. And it has absolutely everything you would need. He goes into doing it yourself, as well as using the LaserBear adapter from Greg in order to do it, uh, the one that I talked about a while back. Um, and also, walks you through the software configuration, which is not hard at all. It's just not intuitive at all. So, having Lou show you exactly what you need to do makes things so much easier. Uh, the only things that I will add is if you're looking to go direct video to SCART, you could just get one of those DACs that we had recently talked about. The one that when Kuro did that whole analysis, uh, they found a pretty cheap one that worked great. Just mix that with the HD 15 to SCART and then you're all set. There's your SCART output with as easy as it could possibly get. And also, um, Greg's adapter, if you don't like the Ranky adapter, or you already have your own DAC, you can just plug that right in. You might need some kind of uh, tiny little adapter to pin adapter to make sure that works, but those are super cheap. So if you just want, (coughs) excuse me, a very easy way to get component video out, you could follow all the same steps and just use your own deck and plug it in like that. And if you want to make sure that it sits in there properly, just add a dab of hot glue or something. And that is the perfect use for hot glue because it's not permanent and you could pretty easily throw some drops of isopropyl in there and pop that off. So uh, yeah, awesome video. Walks you through everything you would need. I just wanted to add my own little nerding here just in case, but um, definitely check it out if you're interested in this stuff. And I've always been a big fan of direct video, both because you could save some money on an IO board if you're just looking to try out Mr. First, but also because it has the potential to do slightly better quality video output depending on the DAC that you're using and the cores that you're using. So definitely, definitely check out Lose video and post, and the post has all of the links to everything you would need in there. So definitely check that out uh, if you're even wondering what direct video automister is like. One of the other interviews the Shiro crew was able to get at PRGE was with the developer Seven Shades talking about their completely custom engine for the Saturn. So this is mostly a sea-based engine that allows for 3D graphics to be created, and they redid the Peach's Castle area from Mario 64 as kind of a 3D playground in order to show this off and kind of demo what their engine could do on the Saturn. So it's um it's pretty remarkable to see how this is being done. And also pretty amazing that people are still now just doing completely custom from the ground up stuff for the Saturn. So if you're a Saturn dev, or if you're even just like me, not smart enough to be a Saturn dev, but really interested in all of the stuff that goes on in that, um, this was a great interview. And it talks about, you know, using the different VDPs and how to get 3D graphics working. And uh, it's, it's just I don't know. I enjoyed the heck out of this one. So uh, I could talk about it forever. But once again, we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. So I just want to say if you're interested, check out their post, the full interviews there. And I believe you could even download the title CubeCat as well in order to try it yourself if you have the ability to run homebrew on your Saturn. Firebrand X recently wrote up a really awesome post on their Patreon page, fully public post, about the differences between Neo Geo 320 and 304 resolution games. So I'll very quickly summarize here. While the Neo Geo is able to output at a 320 resolution, some games were pillar-boxed to 304, However, if you're using a scaler and you're trying to dial in perfect profiles for all of these, it's important to note that which games are running in which mode. So Firebird X also compiled a list of those games. So this is one of those things where if you're interested in how these things work and how the different video modes are being outputted, it's very interesting. But if you don't really care and you just want pixel perfect stuff, what FBX has done is basically been able to say just Reference this list, and when you load a game, load the corresponding profile, and that's it. So this is going to be perfect for RetroTink 4K because you could just drop these profiles on an SD card. Um, If you're a huge Neo Geo fan, you could program this into your OSSC or your RetroTink 5X, but I think this is really going to be more focused on the 4K simply because of how easy it is to drop profiles in there. Uh, Mike also teased automatically detecting which consoles are being plugged in, which is really really hard. So there might potentially be a time, I wouldn't say at launch date, but just a guess, by the way, but there might actually be a time where Firebrand X's work could be auto-detected and auto-implemented. And maybe you could even choose things like, I always prefer uh, the 10X scaling um, but some people might say, I want 9x scaling with perfect aspect ratio. Firebrand X has choices for all of these. So someday, maybe, we might be able to get to a place where we set that as a global option in the Tink 4K. And every time a new mode is detected, it's automatically set to, for me, my favorite would always be 10x scaling so that you could fill the screen Um, you do have the same cutoff, about the same cutoff as a CRT for most games, maybe not all arcade games, but most, especially Neo Geo as well. But you actually fill more of the horizontal space without stretching. So that's always been my favorite mode to use on scalers. 5X, 10X, same thing. So there's a potential maybe for someday FBX's work to just be automated into this stuff. I set it to FBX, 10X, and whatever the tink... Uh, detects the signal, whatever console it is or whatever resolution per console, it would automatically set it to that. So I wanted to talk a bit about this, even though this is a lot of speculation and coming soon, just because I did want to highlight all of the work FBX has been doing and kind of give you all a glimpse as to how important this is and why. It would be very easy for me to just say, Post on 320 verse 304. Check it out if you're interested. But I kind of wanted to take a moment just to really impress upon people what goes into all of this stuff. And to also very politely remind you that this is a public Patreon post, so anybody could read it. But if you appreciate stuff like this, please consider signing up for FBX's Patreon because he does all of this stuff for us and kind of makes all of our lives a lot easier. So uh, check that out if you're interested. And I mean, I, I think there's... I have high hopes for... All of the work FBX put in and how easy it's going to be, even on launch day, just to pick your profile and hit enter versus having to dial all this stuff in. I think this is going to be very, very cool for upcoming Tink 4K buyers. So last week I talked about how the developer Frog Bull had ported Metal Gear Solid from the PlayStation over to the Sega Saturn, or at least ported a part of the game over. And there was some speculation as to whether it was real or not. So Frogbull ended up sending the developer XL2 a version of this to check out. And XL2 said it's absolutely real. Uh, Now, Frogbull still doesn't want to release it publicly for all the reasons I talked about last week that I still wholeheartedly support. Don't release this Work in progress demo, knowing that some people are just going to try to sell it on eBay in some nice packaging. You know, at the very least, wait until it's where uh, Frogble wants it to be before public release. So I still stand behind that, but it is very cool to see another developer take a look and confirm, yes, it's real. And oh, by the way, I found some very Saturn esque bugs in this thing that uh, that also goes further to prove that it's real. And it was kind of surprising and a ton of work to make this happen. So um, if you're interested in the details behind this, please check out the post, but I just, I think stuff like this is so unbelievably cool. And yes, you could just fire up your mister and play Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation Core if you wanted to, but that's not what this is about. This is about kind of doing things that were always thought to be impossible and kind of just nerding out on a different level. So if you're interested, check out the post, but yeah, shout out to Frogville and XL2, because this is very cool and very interesting to see. The other interview that the Shiro crew did with Retrobit was about their upcoming Saturn Wireless Pro controllers, the one with the two analog sticks. And overall, the interview was good. They went through a bunch of different details. There's a few things that I would like to highlight here. First, uh, it seems that it's a really well-built and comfortable controller. It doesn't match up perfectly in size, obviously, because it has the analog sticks on it. But while they only got to spend a little bit of time with the demo units, the Shiro crew was generally impressed and liked it. So, um, you know, obviously a full detailed review would have to be done in order to really see if these things were good enough or not. But overall, it's just, it's very promising. Also, I believe this is the first time RetroBit has ever publicly talked about latency before. And they said it has about one frame of lag. So that's kind of interesting too, because some of their wireless controllers are about that. Some are faster, some are slower. And I don't know, I don't think they went into detail really about how they test. So that's something I would definitely like to still discuss with them and offer any help that I can because getting accurate measurements is so important. And also knowing what to brag about is also pretty important as well. You know, put these things in context with others. And I would like to just have a conversation with them about this because I think I could help in a positive way, not finger wag, but promote the right stuff that they do, um, Continuing on, though, one of the other things that I definitely wanted to mention was that uh, RetroBit doesn't want fans to judge the wireless pro controller purely on how accurately it would emulate the Saturn's original 3D control pad, simply because there was a custom chip in that original 3D control pad that was designed with the code of games like Knights. So to be accurate and to do very interesting things that in order for them to recreate that experience, they would have to reverse engineer that chip, which means they might have to decap it. They would do all the things that the Mr. Team does, and then they would probably have to put a cheap FPGA in its place because spinning off a whole rerun of a reverse engineered circuit would be way too much money. But doing all of that would significantly raise the price of the controller. So it's a, a always an interesting p- uh, position to be in when you're a company like this. Do you try to charge the typical you know 40, 50 bucks for a wireless controller? or do you go through the trouble of uh, reverse engineering that circuit just for a few games and then have to charge a hundred for the controller? alienating an entire audience that would have bought it if it was cheaper. So I, I definitely understand what it's like to be in that position and I think they probably made the right move. but who knows maybe there's things we could do in the future to to help improve maybe there's some homebrew stuff but overall, I just think it would be pretty cool to try it out with games like Knights and see if it's good enough. Is it do we really want to just stick with the original 3d controller? Or is this going to be decent for most people and offer other options like compatibility with Mister or the Switch and stuff like that. But overall, if you're interested, check out the interview that they did. Um, You know, I definitely want to follow up and do my own interview as well because there's certainly a lot of things that I'd like to ask them about and both positive things as well as some bugs that – haven't really been fixed in their controllers for a while that people keep asking them about. Some are way more important than others, not to be disrespectful, but it's the truth. Some of the complaints I've been hearing about their controllers don't matter to most people, and others are a very, very big deal. So I would love to just have a long chat with them about this stuff and how they how they manufacture and make these products. And I haven't reached out yet, but I, I will soon. I just don't have the time for anything anymore, but I would really look forward to that. So I'll I'll, uh, try and talk to Ron from RetroBit, and maybe he could get himself and one of the engineers on to just have a a nice chat about this stuff. And I also really, really want to highlight the good things that they do as well, because obviously I talk about their stuff all the time. There's a lot of really cool stuff that they put out, and I would love to support that. So we'll see. Chris from Displaced Gamers recently released a video trying to answer questions about Terminator for the NES. So landing is difficult. Jumping is inconsistent. Sometimes you appear to land but fall through the ground. Sometimes you fall off the edge of a platform when running, even though you swear you press jump before you got there. Sometimes jumping to the first ledge works, but then trying to jump immediately to the second doesn't. So what's happening? As usual, Chris does a great job digging into the details of this. And it's always interesting kind of talking about this here because people who are fans of Chris's work We're probably thinking, all right, Bob, we get it. We love these videos. Just say there's a new Displaced Gamer video and move on. Don't spoil it for me. But I also want to always take a couple of moments for people that may have not been familiar with Chris's work or how these videos kind of dig into behind the code of some of these games. Because even if you're not a programmer, if you're a nerd who's curious, you will definitely be able to follow him. I'll admit Chris is smarter than me. So a couple of times in every video, I usually have to rewind and re-listen to a little thing just to make sure I got it, but I always end up getting it. So, uh, if you've, I would say that if you've ever played Terminator for the NES and have been frustrated by it, this is a must watch. (laughs) Uh, or if you're just a a fellow nerd that wants to understand how these things work and kind of why some older games are basically broken and others aren't. So, uh, yeah, this is another good one, and thanks to Chris for continuing to make these. Another vinyl soundtrack pre-order opened this week for the game, Cotton Fantastic Night Dreams. This was music pulled from the arcade version of the game, even though it was available on a bunch of different platforms. And the price is about 40 bucks, and it should ship to you by the end of this year. Same disclaimer as last time. Never know, things might be uh, a little bit late for stuff like this, but uh, it's another one that seems to be pretty cool. The vinyl itself looks very neat with an orange, black, and green splatter version. So if you're into that game and you like the soundtrack, absolutely check out Crystal's Post, and it's cool to see this stuff being released, especially when they go back and get the original arcade soundtracks. It's always harder to do, but it's pretty cool when they take the time to do it. So check it out if you're interested. Roger, aka 8 Bit Esquire, recently posted a video showing off how PVMs are different from consumer TVs, what higher TVLs are, and demonstration of how those look when sitting close up or at a normal distance, and I thought it was a really great video. I have to just reiterate one of Roger's points and something that I say all the time before I continue, any CRT is an awesome choice for retro with the only exception being if you live in the middle of a very busy city. RF only might have a little too much wireless interference. But other than that, any CRT is an excellent choice for retro. Any console that outputted uh, 15 kilohertz, any CRT is great. And even some of the later ones, uh, you might still enjoy a CRT, or you might actually just end up with a 480p VGA CRT monitor. Consoles like Dreamcast, GameCube, Xbox, and Wii are also Probably a step up when if you could have a 480p mode like that. So, just I always want to drive the point home. Any CRT is a win, period, end of story, as long as it works and it didn't cost you too much money. But if you're interested in the PVM, PVM side of things, then definitely check this video out. Even if you don't like the higher TVL and sharpness, even if you prefer the charm of a fuzzy old RF connection on an old TV, it's still really cool to kind of look look into what these things can do and it always cracks me up listening to different people's favorites because everybody's eyes are different and everybody has different preferences for stuff and there's definitely people out there that think too high of a tv line count would kind of make it a little bit too smooth for 2d games but amazing for 3d games there are some people that don't want to see the mask at all so they prefer the high tvls sitting at a distance um, there's crazy people like me that prefer certain consoles on certain displays because I always played Neo Geo in the arcade as a kid. I prefer to play those games on non-Sony tubes because there were never Sony tubes in arcades. So it's it just it's kind of cool to see the differences and stuff like this. And even if it's not super important to you, being able to just check out a video like this that does all the all the prep work for you I think is all pretty cool. So, it's a long video but it it really flew by and I just think it's kind of neat for uh, to have this stuff highlighted. Um if you want A window into one of the craziest CRTs ever. When Shank was over, we took a macro lens and took a whole bunch of footage of the D32, the 1000 TVL multi-format widescreen monitor that I have. And that was a lot of fun. That kind of really showed, especially if you watch Roger's video and then kind of check those out. Yeah, it's a live stream. The quality isn't that great, but you could really zoom in and see the differences in line count and how much Uh, How much extra detail is there? and You could make your own decision if you like it or don't like it. But for me personally, I'm not saying this is the right thing to do. I'm just saying my eyes, which are getting older. I need glasses for soldering now. I like um, high TVL consumer TVs or low TVL PVMs. So a 600 TVL PVM for 2D graphics I think is amazing. But when you switch over to early 3D graphics like N64, PlayStation 1, Saturn... I love the higher TVL because it b- sort of blends the 3D three cl- uh, D graphics a little bit in a way that you kind of get all the sharpness of RGB with some more of the the, the forgivingness of composite because there's so many extra lines. You don't, you don't see them as sharp edges. I don't know. It's one of those things that you got to really see it for yourself. But like I opened this section with, there's no wrong answer. If you're using a CRT, you're winning, period, end of story, that's it. And if you're just crazy like us, check out the different types of monitors, and even if you have no desire in spending a ton of money, you could still at least just enjoy it and see what it's like. So thanks to Roger for doing this, and uh, I don't know, hopefully I, hopefully this was a little bit of a perspective on TVL and stuff, and hopefully I didn't ramble too long, but obviously I liked the video, or I wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> Next up, Stone Age Gamer now has stock of two cool items for the GameCube that are in stock, ready to ship, not a pre-order. So I wanted to talk about both. The first is the Blue Retro Controller Adapter, which is $30 plus shipping. And it comes in three colors, orange, black, or uh, atomic purple, just to match the original GameCube colors. And this is the Blue Retro a blue Retro platform designed by Darth Cloud that if you pair it with a low latency controller like the PS5 controller, you can have it down to six milliseconds of latency, which is pretty cool. Um, other stores do sell it. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to be in stock at some point in other places. But right now it's in stock at Stone Age Gamer, which is why I wanted to write this up. I know a lot of people were waiting for stuff like this. So, you know, maybe uh, in stock notifications are the most exciting thing to talk about unless you're that person who's been waiting for something like this. The other item that Stone Age Gamer has in stock and ready to ship is the Memcard Pro GC. If you're unfamiliar, this is a replacement memory card for the GameCube that has a screen on it, You could load everything onto a micro SD card. It's got Wi-Fi and powered by an FPGA, and it really is just an amazing tool for people that really want to manage and have basically infinite amounts of storage on their memory card for the GameCube. Um, When I first tried the MemCard Pro for the PlayStation a couple of years ago, I got it and I was like, okay, you know, I'll I'll do a write-up on it. This is pretty neat. Replacement memory card. And when I started using it, I was so blown away that I ended up doing a full-length video on it because it's... It's so hard to explain without showing you the video or having you mess with it yourself, but it's more than just a replacement memory card. It kind of opens up a bunch of doors to do a lot of things. Now, as always, if you just want to play one or two GameCube games and you just need a, a memory card reader for it, you could pick up one of the cheap ones that you find on Amazon or eBay. They're generally the third-party ones. are kind of lower quality. You can get the original Nintendo ones that still should work okay, and if that's all you want to do, that's fine. But these are good price, they're in stock, and it opens up the doors to do quite a lot of different things. So if you're a GameCube power user, you, you really should consider it. Um, if you're just a casual user, check it out. Check out the video I did on the PlayStation version. A lot of the features translate over pretty directly. Um, and then just, I would basically just go to the website, check out its features, and see if it's something you'd be interested in. But keep an open mind because I was really impressed with all these MEM cards. The developer Retro Love Letter has ported the original Tempest arcade game to the 3DO, which is a very cool port. Retro Love Letter's worked on a bunch of other ports for the 3DO as well, and has some in progress, but this was absolutely awesome to see. The original Tempest running on such a unique console, and uh, I absolutely love stuff like this, and uh, I'm also a giant fan of Tempest. So while it's fun to play with a regular controller, spinner controllers completely change the feel of it too. So who knows, maybe we'll have... 3DO spinner controller support at some point in the future, but uh, very cool to see. Um, apparently it runs without any problem whatsoever on Fixel's ODE, so if you have a 3DO ODE from Fixel, just load this right up. Uh, I'm sure it'll probably work as a ISO as well if you want to burn images, but those ODEs are pretty cool, especially the plug-and-play one. I really loved how easy that was to use, so if you're a fan of Tempest and you like the 3DO At the very least, check out Selena's post. And also, I'd like to uh, welcome Selena, the retro princess, to the team. Uh, I've been following her on social media for a while, and she posts some of the coolest, weirdest, unique retro stuff. And uh, there was two in a row this week that uh, she found stuff before even I did, and I was like... Could you join the team? You know, anybody that's this, this much into this stuff really needs to share your knowledge with everybody. And luckily she was into it. So as with all of the writers, they're welcome to contribute whenever they feel like it. So it's, there's never any pressure or anything like that. But um, I do hope to see a couple more posts from Selena because she's always got some weird, and interesting stuff to talk about and always captured my interest. So welcome. And uh, what a very interesting and cool first post. Tempest on the 3DO. Next up, Jimmy Hopper released an absolutely awesome deep dive retrospective on the first role-playing game released on CD-ROM, as we know it here, far east of Eden. And this was a game that was largely overlooked in many other parts of the world for a long time because it really only had a localized release, but... It's something that absolutely deserves our attention because it was the biggest RPG of its time. It was the first to include voice acting and even had a few fully orchestrated soundtracks. So Jimmy kind of dug in and, and really got interviews with some of the original crew and showed off a, a lot of stuff in it. Honestly, this is one of those things I don't even want to spoil it anymore. I guess I would <clears throat> I would suggest reading through the posts unless you already know that you want to watch it. But if you're, if you're like, oh, I'm not really sure if I'd be into watching something about that. The post is a perfect summary and and teaser of what to expect, so I would just kind of skim through this post, but I have a feeling by the time you get to the end, you're probably just going to be like, okay, I'm adding this to my list. And it's a a full-length documentary, if you will, so set some time aside for it. It's like 45 minutes long, and I think it'll add some very cool perspective to the uh, Super CD-ROM's Far East of Eden RPG game. I think it's pretty cool, and it was... uh, Awesome video, so thanks again, Jimmy, for taking the time to post it here and to to add that detail to the post too for a lot of you know a lot of times when I try to talk about things that i 'm into or or even things that i 'm not super into, but I appreciate how important they are i don't always feel like I do a good enough job hyping it so when somebody like Jimmy comes in and puts it in their own words, it just makes it so much easier for me to be like, Oh yeah, I got to mention that too. I also have to mention this because it's uh I don't know. I want to do all of this stuff justice. So definitely check out the video. It was very cool. And uh, once again, thanks to Jimmy. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. I have to record these earlier than normal. So I actually beat Lou to the punch. His video is up, but the post on retro RGB isn't. So I'm just going to skim through extra quick this week and go and talk about the things that I think stood out to me the most in this video. And the first is the Mr. Laggy, a tiny little device designed by Wickerwaka that can plug into the user IO port, the snack port essentially of your Mr. And run a custom core, Uh, the core is free, of course, and that will allow you to turn your mister into a lag testing device. I've been testing a couple of prototypes of this, and even the first prototype was very accurate, but the version that was just posted is pretty much within a millisecond or two as accurate as your standard other Leo Bodnar, Time Sleuth, whatever. So, While picking up a Mr. and carrying it with you to test a bunch of different things isn't exactly the easiest thing, I think the fact that this is so simple and easy to build would really open up the doors for anyone who owns a Mr. to now have a very cheap and very accurate lag testing device. So... Obviously, this isn't going to be the thing where you stick your mister in your pocket and bring it to Best Buy. But if you already own a mister and you're curious about lag, there's really no better way to do it. For the price that it would cost to make one of these things, I would definitely check out the GitHub and see. And who knows, maybe they'll be up for sale somewhere in the near future. But what an awesome project, and thanks again to Wicker Waka for for making this for us. And i got to do a live stream with him again one of these days and test this out and kind of just hang out and see what else has been going on. Next up there is a project called the Nestang which is powered by pretty cheap uh, FPGA based projects like the Cipede Tang Nano 20 and the Primer 20K or both are 20K sorry but they those are basically low cost FPGA development boards that can run a core the NES core that was ported over to it so <clears throat> this has the potential of leading to cycle-accurate NES handhelds, which is pretty neat. And if the price point's low enough, I definitely see this being something that could be implemented in a lot of fun different projects. Or heck, maybe even those companies that make the terrible clone consoles with those NESs on a chip that are some of the worst sound emulation ever, maybe they could just put one of these in there instead and charge a few bucks more, as long as they credit the open-source project There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, you could argue that if they make it work with cartridges, that's just awesome. Now we actually have, we would hopefully have cheap NES clone consoles that aren't terrible. But for now, it's a really cool thing that you could build your own if you would like. Next up, Kuro, the developer who was doing all of that HDMI DAC testing, is testing more. Uh, Now, this is both amazing, thanks to Kuro, but nothing but positivity there, but also annoying because even if Kuro tested every single HDMI DAC on the planet right now, Who's going to guarantee that they're still going to work the same the next time a new run of production is made and a new batch hits the market six months from now? So while I, obviously, I'm not taking anything away from what is doing, I think the community as a whole is really about to get very lucky. Because there's at least one person working on, by the community, for the community, DAX and ADCs. We already have a pretty good ADC, actually, but... Really focused on getting quality out to the consumer, and you're going to have to pay for it. You're not going to be able to get that at $8. But if you follow Currow's work, you are able to figure out what's the cheap stuff that's available. And the one that Crow had sent me a link to that I had posted a while back was $9, I think, and it worked great. And one of the many reasons why I always tell you to go to Amazon for this isn't just the affiliate link, but it's honestly because if you buy one of these, you plug it in and the blacks look terrible, double check that your your settings are correct. And if it doesn't work, send it back. So that's the great thing. And you're not doing anything wrong. You're buying a product, expecting it to work the same way the last one was, the ones that we tested. So if yours doesn't work right, there's nothing morally wrong with returning it to the seller. It's just... It's the consistency problem. So I love that we're finally having two paths. We have a dev out there really looking to get the cheap stuff uh, rated for us, and we have at least one other, probably two other devs out there looking to just get us one that you don't ever have to worry about. You buy it, and it works. So awesome. Uh, As expected, Robert is still killing it with the N64 core. Even more updates, um, even more things that are added to it. So it's, uh, I believe, (coughs) My Life in Gaming and Uh, Modern Vintage Gamer also did videos on it recently, so definitely check it out. I mean, it's even if you're only a casual N64 fan, it's already starting to get, you know, you could see the potential of how it's going to be better than the original in some ways. So thanks again to Robert. A pretty awesome update for the Saturn core. It could now load CHD images, which are images that are not compressed in a way that you lose audio quality or anything like that, but they're actually smaller. So if you're somebody who has a nice curated set, you don't need a terabyte SD card to store it all. You could cut it down to be quite a lot smaller. Actually, the CHD image files are pretty uh, impressive in themselves. You might want to look into that if you're a nerd, how they work. That's probably worth a video or an explanation itself. But just for now, I'll say the Saturn Core now uh, supports it, which is great. Also, Wizzo updated their remote script and it now can switch INI files, which is so cool. Imagine if you have a setup um, and you have it connected to a 15 kilohertz only monitor, so you want to do direct video, but you have it default to 1080p, because what if you're always streaming, too? Now if you turn that on first, you could just set the INI file so you don't have to worry about sending high def through your direct video adapter or anything like that. So that that's awesome. Uh, love that. If you if you haven't messed with the remote script at all, give it a minute. Be a little patient. Get it connected. Uh, hook yourself. Change the host name so you have an easy URL to connect to it, and then just save that in your browser, even on your phone, and now you have a very easy way to connect to it. The only other thing is remember that Mr. takes a long time to connect to your network. So if you power it on and try to connect, it's not going to. You have to wait till the network emblem pops up on the main menu before doing so. It's not a remote script problem. I don't even think it's a Mr. thing. I think it just, it is what it is. One of those issues. Um, The MistX project now has a build root root for the Pi Zero, and the Pi Zero hasn't been connected to an FPGA-based board to run in conjunction with it, but the the build root is there, and that's really going to lead to the potential for a lot of things. And uh, just... A very quick overview, the Mystex is a way to kind of evolve the Mister project to uh, a bunch of different platforms and make it a little bit easier. I did the, an interview with Hans a while back talking about it, and I think something like this could possibly lead to very low-cost versions of it, which is cool because if you're really just playing a couple of cores up to a CRT, you don't really need anything super powerful. So neat that they're going about it this way. Next up, the Atlantis PC Mr. Boards are going on sale or actually should be on sale by the time you hear this for $25, and I love this. So basically, it allows you to connect your DE10 to the board and put this board into basically any computer case. I believe it's Mini-ITX. Um, So some of the smaller ones, which is really cool. Uh, And I would really love to see a few other people get on board for this one because I have a couple of mini ITX PCs that I, one of which I designed, long and boring story, that I don't want to get rid of it because it's mine. I don't really care if it's ugly or not. And I'd love to put a Mr. into it, but I want to make sure that the IO board and back matches up so that even if it's not the same components, I can mount things there. So I I would love to work with somebody to just build myself a custom Mr. board on a my computer that I made you know 15 years ago or something so it's really cool I think I might pick up an Atlantis board just to see if I could how much of a do-it-yourself I could do it but I have a feeling I would have to ask my friends for help making it not look like a science project. I want it to look like a custom thing. Uh, And I'm sure there's other people out there in the same scenario, right? Maybe you have a really awesome from the early 2000s mini ITX cases. There were so many awesome computer cases back then. So maybe you want to implement it in one of those. I don't know. Uh, And lastly, supposedly, a major company is looking to create essentially a competitor to the analog pocket at a $99 price point. So I have so many red flags. First of all, there is that one company with, uh, I think it was a Chinese company with a U.S. rep that was trying to scam Mr. Devs into working for free. It was years ago, and they had promised to have it out. It's just, so whenever I hear, you know, supposed competition, I always kind of laugh, like, how many, is this another scam? Is it, you know, is it not at all what it's supposed to be? But it is at least theoretically possible, especially if they release it as a development device which on the one hand means they don't have to worry about any kind of um, production on the software side. and That's kind of cheesy because now you're just selling something expecting people to work or to use all the other people's work on it. But at the same time, that does kind of give us an advantage in that, hey, if there's a company willing to take the probably million-dollar risk, I'm not exaggerating, to make something like this at that price point, Now we could use that as our dev tool and they don't have to spend the time and money on software development. We could use all the current Mr. Stuff and put our efforts into porting that over. So I I see both sides of it. I hope it's real. I hope it's another cool development piece that we could use. And to to quote, to paraphrase Lou, I hope it doesn't suck. Lou is much more polite about it, but you know, I hope even if they use a decent FPGA, that everything else about it is fine. Even things like the D-pad. We don't even get good D-pads on a lot of plastic controllers. So, yeah. um, I don't know. I I have uh, caution. And, um, you know, I don't trust things like this until I use them myself, but... It has the potential to work, and it has the potential to be there, but it's not going to be an experience like like the analog pocket, right? If you bought it to buy Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games, you buy that thing, you know, in the one minute that it's up for sale, you plug your cartridge in, and you're done. Whereas this one, you would have to essentially load up something close to a mister on it in order to get it working. So I hope it's real, but take all that with a grain of salt, because I have, I have been in the center of a couple of these things before where I called scam, And everybody around me was like, wow, you're an asshole. And guess what? Six months later, turns out it was a scam. So uh, my caution is from experience, not from, um, you know me being negative. I, I want to be positive about it. But anyway, uh, I talked a lot more than I normally did because I didn't have everything nicely laid out for me like Lou always does. So there you go. My uh, my inability to shut up is uh, really showing through this one. So uh, as always, please subscribe to Lou. There's no way I could keep up with all of the Mr. stuff without him. So thank you so much to Lou for doing this. And uh, next week, hopefully I won't have to record it too early so I could just read through Lou's post and not ramble on for so long as much. Next up, Quicks recently released a new firmware for the EverDrive N8 Pro, and that's the one for both Famicom and NES. And there's something very important to note about this. I'll be quick and uh, I'll just give the updates first. Uh, it adds support for a bunch of new mappers, as well as the ability to use, uh, for any ROM to use its own mapper. However, this removed the game save export feature. So basically, at one point, Quicks had changed the way game saves had worked, but also included a feature that lets you export your previous ones and then import into the newer way of doing it. So if you have a whole bunch of save games that you don't want to lose, that would be the way to do it. So if you're migrating now from an older version, uh, OS version 2.12 or older, then it's recommended that you first install version 2.14 then you export the old game saves to the new format, and then uh, import them all to this version. I think the exporter was removed to save space, which makes sense. So that uh, that's kind of an easy one. It's only a one-time thing once you've exported them and converted it. Now, anytime you have a new firmware update from now on, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, and the other cool thing, too, is I'm pretty sure you could switch between firmwares. So as long as you just back up basically your SD card, or at the very least the everdrive folder you should be able to kind of flip around between these if you make a mistake but i would just be careful and do it once and never worry about it again it should be a pretty easy thing Uh, but i just wanted to make sure i made that point also because with with all respect to cricks if your everdrive n8's working perfectly right now and you haven't been playing any of the newer newer homebrew or the games that you're playing don't need any of those extra mappers you could just leave it exactly the way it is and keep playing it. Uh, I just wanted to kind of go through that, because if you did want to upgrade, and especially if any awesome new NES homebrew comes out that requires this, you're just going to want to make sure to import your saves properly so you don't lose any of your save games. As always, though, just back up your EverDrive folder on the regular on a regular basis, and you probably don't have anything to worry about. But I wanted to make sure all of that was clear. And as always, thank you to Crix for always updating these products even though they're long past the time where you should feel obligated to but he still is so that's very very cool all of these free updates are so appreciated and we shouldn't take them for granted we shouldn't just say well of course you have to do updates it's i mean you got to find a happy medium and Crix has always been killing it with this stuff so thanks very much to him for continuing all the support and lastly, this post was, yet again, one that came in late Tuesday night last week, so it was after I had already recorded and edited the podcast, but I definitely wanted to talk about it this week because it's awesome. Apparently, the Saturn hacker Malenko had found two secret characters that were never discovered before in NBA Jam Tournament Edition. The announcer, Tim Kitsrow and just another character simply known as Fox. So while Malenko was looking through the character data to see if IGN's full list of secret characters were there, that's where he stumbled across all of this stuff. And it's kind of absolutely awesome to still, all these years later, find secret characters hidden in NBA Jam. Um, it's kind of funny too, because if you didn't grow up with these games, you might think it's neat, but if you were a kid reading magazines and trading stories with your friends, you definitely remember hearing some kind of secret character that either did exist and you just have to figure out how to enable them or the ones that never existed. And you're trying to figure out, you know, what's a schoolyard, uh, just gossip or what's actually hidden characters. So this is kind of neat. This is something that I just always thought was awesome. And, uh, uh, to play either of these, enter the names and birthdays on the name entry screen while holding L and R. So it's just uh, Tim Kitsrow KIT for June 8th. And the character Fox is Fox in August 3rd. Details are right here in the post, of course. But that's just so cool so now i want to go fire up nba jam tournament edition and play as tim kitzrow because he's awesome and so is the game so thank you milenko for finding that all these years later and sharing it with us that's very cool and uh has that is this info that anybody had had put out there before and it was just kind of lost to time because i certainly never heard about it but it would be kind of cool to find out and uh i don't know stuff like this is always awesome well, that's it for this week. There was a lot of stuff, so I tried to pace everything as best I could. I wanted to make sure to not skip over any important details or make sure to capture your interest if any of these sections were important to you, but I also wanted to try really hard not to talk too much about any one section, just knowing that there were a ton of these. Um, I always try my best. I don't always get it right, but hopefully I, I did a decent enough job this week. But Anyway, as always, thank you especially to everybody who supports, but also if you just listen thank you. I appreciate it. You know, spread the word if you have other retro nerd friends that want to be a part of this community. But even if you're just here to hang out and see what's going on, thank you. You're so appreciated. I try to make that clear every week. And uh, I try to not, I try my hardest to not ever seem ungrateful or If I mention the Patreon and the Floatplane accounts, I I hope I'm not coming across too pushy. I just want to be able to keep doing this for all of you as long as I can. Uh, And, you know, if if I got to get extra help in for sponsorships or anything like that, I'll give that a try as well. But... I enjoy doing this. I especially love helping developers get their products out as well as introducing you who might be interested in these products to them. And uh, this has just always been a blast and definitely my favorite job I've ever had. So I just want to keep doing it and uh, I just want you all to know how much I appreciate it. So thank you all very much and I will see you next week.